now entering Welcome back to the Horror Sanctum Podcast. I'm Jay with John, Kellen, and TJ. Uh, and this week we're joined by Jason Sean. Uh, Jason is a film critic, historian. Uh, Jason, you've been working at the Belcourt Theater for over 20 years, where you uh, help host and curate the Midnight Movies there. Uh, you also have had a hand in several film festivals as well. Uh, so welcome to the show. And was there anything that I missed there? Um, the only thing I can think of, like, especially with, um, uh, the folks who listen to your podcast is I'm also part of the team behind 12 hours of terror, the bell courts annual, uh, seven film marathon. And we're putting a good one together for this year. Uh, and also I, I co-host a podcast called fearless pretender, which is a linear journey through the film and television work of the actress, Jennifer Jason Lee, which is nice. niche, but it's awesome. It's like an amazing experience that wow. maybe six or seven people listen to <laughs> have y'all talked about atypical on the show uh not yet like, okay like i, I said, can't stand her in that at all <laughs> we just... started i mean we started at the very beginning okay. uh, about a year ago so we're just now getting to um grandview usa in flesh and blood nice that's definitely a niche for sure yeah. so um so thanks again for coming on the show we asked you to pick a few movies we narrowed mm -hmm. it down uh, and we ended up going with 2010's Beyond the Black Rainbow, uh, which was directed by Panos Cosmatos. I, <laughs> I don't know if I pronounced that correct or not, um, who you probably know him for the Nicolas Cage movie Mandy, which I loved. I mean, it's Nicolas Cage on cocaine with a chainsaw. Sign me up. You know, <laughs> that simple. So um, this movie's actually been on my list for a while. So thanks for forcing my hand <laughs> and making me watch it. Um, I don't know if it ended up the way I thought it was going to, but we'll get there. So um, if you're unfamiliar with the film, uh, it kind of revolves around a heavily sedated woman um, with ESP as she tries to escape this secluded commune where she's being held captive. Um, it sounds strange. It was a little strange. And we'll start with TJ. I think it sounds a little stranger, if you will, like a little. It's basically the plot of Stranger Things the first season, right? It's basically 11, except 11's like 25. And uh, Papa's a little more annoying and creepier than, you know, the the guy from Full Metal Jacket was. And uh, yeah, I didn't know what to expect about this. I'd only seen Mandy. Uh, and I watched Mandy. I have a very interesting experience of having watched Mandy because I, I rented it in the red box. Uh, it was the only movie I rented in the red box when my wife and I were staying at her aunt and uncle's cabin in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. And it was the middle of a snowstorm uh, in the wintertime. And uh, I, I just remember being by myself in the woods, not knowing where I was in this cabin I'd never been in before. And it was like 20 degrees outside and, you know, watching that crazy movie and not knowing if there's, you know, people watching you through the windows and stuff it, it was a very interesting interesting night but uh i i really liked that movie i i don't hate any nicholas cage movie even as crazy ones that aren't objectively aren't good movies i still appreciate him in them for some reason and so i had no idea oh, what you should uh, absolutely absolutely all hell all hell to uh the king of cage um which I, I think that was a missed opportunity. He would have made a, a stellar Johnny Cage in the early 90s, I think. I don't know if he can kick that high, though. So, 
sidebar. Uh, this movie, man. So it's got like a two to three sentence uh, description on everywhere that I I saw it. And and by the way, it's streaming everywhere. I've never seen a film that is more physically accessible and yet subject-wise almost inaccessible to, to the mainstream in terms of, of that dichotomy of, of what it is. I mean, this is like the epitome of an art house film. But literally the story that they can tell you in two or three sentences, which is basically a psychic lady is held captive at some sort of commune or laboratory, some kind of thing against her will, breaks out the end she did <laughs> so on on the on the text of the thing it's it's very it's very simple but it's very drawn out um i i will say i objectively i think this movie is either smarter than me <laughs> uh or maybe i'm not maybe i'm just too dumb to to, to realize the subtext which sometimes that happens with, with some of these very artistic directors i know that happens with some david lynch films and even some cronenberg um so i could tell that that i liked a lot of the direction of the scenes it just didn't feel like a whole lot was happening at any given moment and then you know i was i was honestly fighting falling asleep a few times there because it just seemed like these these scenes were just dragging on and on and they kept like showing triangles and stuff which apparently this dude he must be in the illuminati or something because he loves triangles he loved triangles in the mandy movie too um so i don't know maybe he's like capstoning it up with the illuminati cats out there somewhere but uh yeah i don't have a whole lot to say about it um i liked some of the direction and the sequences but i just feel like not a whole lot happened and then i i was i was definitely checking my watch at 19 minutes in and i was like wow i don't think anything's happened yet <laughs> and i was like I, when's something gonna happen they already told me that she's probably going to break out of the thing. So let's, let's get this, you know, party, party going down the road a little bit, but then, and then I, you know, another half hour, 40 minutes later, I think a dude is like melting into like oil or something. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't really know what's going on with there. So I just think probably I'm too stupid to understand this movie and that's, that's okay. Um, not every movie is for me. And you will fact, not be alone in that, TJ. Just <laughs> spoilers. I mean, I'm not gonna go as far as to say it's my least favorite movie I've ever seen or anything. That 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 still holds the, the title of In the Earth, which in the Earth, uh, if it hadn't have almost given me seizures and and a migraine in the theater when I watched it, the, the plot of it was fine. But my God, I will never watch that movie again. <laughs> I told Kelly Trauma. when we were at Rob Zombie that I was like, I bet TJ doesn't like this movie because I could see the tones and things like it, it would bother you like In the Earth. Game. Yes, I, I'm very orally sensitive to things and also photosensitive i don't like a lot of the flash which they do in this um not as bad as in the earth my god <laughs> but uh please i was hoping that jason could illuminate what the hell is this movie about and what did i miss <laughs> um for me it is a tribute to a very specific subgenre which is the canadian renegade scientist 
um, part of that, you know, is it's it's something that David Cronenberg sort of pretty much defined for the modern uh, uh, film audience. And what Cosmatos does, I think, um, is he just sort of addresses these like half remembered concepts, the way the way that we metabolize uh, conspiracies based on sci-fi films. Like he famously, um, when he was talking about uh, both this film and Mandy about how a lot of the a lot of what he creates are memories based on seeing the covers of VHS tapes at the video store when he was a kid like you know films he never even would actually see but something about the cover would stick in his mind and where you would want to you'd, you'd want to be like where does this image come into play and what what I love about all of his films including the viewing and Mandy but specifically this one is that it is, it's like a museum installation of vibes and it's all about um, the ideals of the 60s. Because I mean, like that, the inciting incident of this is the, is the big flashback sequence during the, the, the consensual melting scene that you were talking about, TJ. Um, yeah, the where, consensual uh, melting, yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> gotta have consensual melting. <laughs> where um, where where Barry Nile is just like, all right, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna see what happens when we do this. And Doctor Abori is like, yeah, and he does this, and it completely annihilates himself. And um, so this it's the idea that like with benign pharmacology, as they call it, that they could find a way to improve human life through basically massive amounts of drugs and fresh flowers which you know i'm not necessarily opposed to so basically but, um, mk ultra <laughs> oh yeah well i mean this is this is this is like eyes wide shut and the uh, laura brannigan's self-control video this is like essential viewing in um <laughs> for modern q folks i've been told um but <laughs> but what's crazy about this is that like immediately after the the, the Nile goes through there. Um, Dr. Arborea and his wife, who just got murdered, literally just got murdered by the guy that he sent into this like unspeakable psychic void. He's like, okay, let's dip the baby in. Let's get all Moses with it and dip the baby in and see what happens. Um, and that's how we get um, Anna, the girl that, who eventually, no, is Ella or Anna, one of those two syllable names that are our main protagonist. Um, and that's what happens is just like, so basically she and Niall are like at an op opposition with each other because they've both been to this place that completely annihilates you and puts you back together. It's just that he did it for the wrong reasons and she did it when she was a baby. So like, it's a, you know, I, I love, a, I love a good conflict like that. But I also, I, I really just love a renegade scientist. Like I love the idea of of a scientist who's got a good idea and no sense of ethics or how to explore that. And um, but I mean, like with this film, honestly, like you don't even need that. It's just amazing vibes. The colors are great. It's like if you ever watch Trailer Park Boys, the way that Mr. Leahy would always say, like, I am the liquor when he's like talking to Randy or something on cheeseburger night. The films of Panos Cosmatos, and I would include the viewing in the films, even though it's like right around an hour long, his films are the drugs. Like his films are all about like creating psychedelic states for people who aren't necessarily dabbling in altered substances. And like his films are all about like mood and tone and like messing with like your perception of sound and your perception of light. 
and I love it. And I know it is not for everybody because like years in 2010, when this was coming out, we screened it uh, amongst the staff at the Bellcourt to see if it was something that we wanted to show. And I was like, yeah. And everybody was else like, and everyone else was like, fuck you. Um, that movie was like church. And I was just like, this movie is cooler than church. I mean, this, well, but for me, I'm a magical realist moviegoer for religion. Like movies are church. So like that, and that's exactly what this is. It's like, it, it slows you down and it puts you in an altered state. And occasionally somebody gets their head crumpled in. Um, and then Stacy Q does the theme song at the end. How can you not love that? Or Which depend me, on your probably. experience of church, you know, that might not be irregular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always used to say back in the day that um, given how crazy the world is, I guarantee you there's some like renegade evangelical sect that the way that they find new members is they just like pick people up on the street, uh, dose them full of acid and make them watch Event Horizon until they're saved. <laughs> <laughs> And then Panos will make a movie about it. Later. Yeah, I would watch yeah, that, that movie. That's his cup of tea for sure. Yeah. And yeah. then that's the movie we just watched, Jay. <laughs> um, yeah. So we watched Men, and that was mm -hmm. a movie that required me to think. And then we watched this one and um, completely melted all useful parts of my brain. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm with TJ. I, I start to finish, I had absolutely zero clue. Uh, not start to finish. The last 20 minutes were easy to follow the rest of the movie. I feel like I was on an acid trip without the acid um, and was super lost for the most part. Like I got the general idea because um, I did read the synopsis, but I had a lot of problems and, and I don't know if you can see on my phone, I made a lot of notes, <laughs> the most notes I've made for a movie uh, since we started doing this almost a year ago. Um, so I'll just start at the top and we'll go down the acid trip. That is my AB the riddled mind uh, <laughs> regarding this movie but i feel like we started halfway through like i feel like it, the descent into madness for the psychiatrist was already there like there was no build up to it like he was already creepy and crazy and then just went full creepy crazy like patrick bateman in american psycho um so i felt lost from the beginning um uh, even from like, but and I had high hopes when it started and it had the, the older man talking about the, you know, the treatments and things like that. Like, I was like, Oh, this is going to be good. And then it n never came back until the last 20 minutes. Um, a lot of the things in this, I feel like had been done before and done better. Um, the visuals were nice, but I feel like it was, it was less an homage say to um, Stanley Kubrick or, or Cronenberg and more of theft for lack of a better word. Like he was taking basically the same visuals and uh, applying them into this movie. Um, the movie tries to be very artistic, but it doesn't really add anything to the movie itself. Um, the grain filter, the grain filter has been used to death. Um, and, and it doesn't make sense for me in this film because it's it swaps back and forth like i understand like it's trying to give the 1983 feel but then you have you know high quality video for other parts of the movie so it's like it's it's trying to be vintage looking but then it comes back to modern and so it just kept pulling me out of the movie and i've talked about that before is like when scenes pull you out of the movie they don't really work and that's what that kept happening every time it kept going to the grain filter i kept getting pulled out um the acting in it is intentionally grotesque without really adding anything to the movie. 
um, TJ mentioned the Stranger Things connection, and I actually caught that um, as I was watching. I was like, well, this this story seems very familiar. And being a huge Stranger Th- Things fan, I kind of put it together pretty quick. So I Googled it, and I, I read that both Duffer, Duffer brothers were asked if they were influenced by this movie, and one outright said they had never seen it, and the other one said that he may have seen a little bit of it, but it was at no point an inspiration for Stranger Things. I'm going to call BS on that because it's almost way too close to the story of Eleven and Papa in Stranger Things, the testing on somebody that has special abilities that ends up breaking free. I mean, that's pretty much the entire plot of this movie. Um, so I, I, I suspect they were they were influenced whether they want to admit it or not. Um, even the music at times harkens back to to the type of music that they use in Stranger Things. Um, so I feel like it's there. Um, well, yeah, it was, it was based in the 1980s, too, in the same yeah. era. As yeah, that, that kind of... It's a John Carpenter yeah. type sound. Yeah, that electronic feel, um, kind of a darker tone, um, which really works. Um, there's parts, and that's part of the movie that I did enjoy when there was actual actual soundtrack, soundtrack music. Um, had a very Pink Floyd feel, and I'm talking about early Pink Floyd. I'm talking about Mother's Milk and and saucer full of secrets like early pink floyd and i really i really kind of enjoyed that trippy kind of you know weird soundtrack vibe that it had at times um they overused the sound in that movie it was like every every two minutes like something would happen (laughs) Uh, it i i I started thinking as it kept happening, I was like, this is like the Wilhelm scream, um, which anybody that's watched any movie in the past 50 years, you have heard that scream at some point in time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, get on YouTube, type in uh, Wilhelm scream, W-I-H-E-L-M. And as soon as you hear it, you'll be like, okay, I've heard that. It's been used in cartoons, horror movies, action movies, comedies. It's it's a stock sound fe- effect of somebody screaming. Um and that's what that sound that they kept using reminded me of because it's so overused. What was uh, it? How'd it go again? Sounds like my stomach when I've had too much cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's a two p two a.m. after a long night of drinking in Taco Bell. <laughs> All that to say, there's flashes of a good movie in here, and talking about the last. 20 minutes the last uh, when she finally starts to break free i feel like okay so i watched mandy i enjoyed mandy i think if i take nicholas cage out of it i don't enjoy Mandy because that's what this is it's kind of the same visual feel the same pacing um but there, like i said there's flashes and the last part of the movie feels like I, I feel like that should have been the movie and then the scenes that were happening earlier should have been flashbacks i think the movie should have started with her breaking free and then flashback to her being in there and then her trying to escape you know through there uh and then him coming after her as the snm bald you know psycho um because that character felt really good earlier in the movie it felt like a cheap patrick bateman and uh knockoff um with just the way he acted and the way he was. Um, so 
I couldn't really get into the character, but once he kind of finished his transformation, taking the wig off, putting on the outfit, um, and then going after her uh, with his obsession, um, that part was interesting to me. Uh, and I guess that's that's the simple mindedness of me and, and, and movies like this where it goes way over my head for 90% of it. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is I was I was reading about this movie because obviously I had to <laughs> to even figure out what I'd watched. And the, one of the things I saw said that this was a movie that doesn't doesn't really have a story. It's more about the visuals. It's more about what's going on. And that made me think about one of my favorite movies of all time, The Big Lebowski, which doesn't really have, I mean, it has a plot, but it's more about the characters. And that's why that movie works as a movie without a story. Um, the Seinfeld of cinema <laughs> doesn't really have a thing. It's just there. Um, but the actors and the characters you, you fall in love with, early on and you're drawn into it and you don't even care that there's no real point to the movie this one you, you care that there's a point to the movie because you don't care about the characters so much they don't do a lot to develop an attachment to the girl that's being held captive uh, like i said the main uh antagonist is just creepy and grotesque to begin with but not in a way that draws you in like hannibal lecter um so for me this movie was just miss all over <laughs> Um, I just didn't enjoy it. I like TJ. I was checking the clock to see how much longer it had. Um, fighting, getting drowsy. I think I paused it at one point to go fix myself something to eat and then contemplated if I wanted to come back and watch it. And then I remembered I had to talk about it for this show. So <laughs> I muscled through and finished it. It's interesting that you mentioned Big Lebowski because I think that's a very good comparison because in both instances, both, both Lebowski and this are taking genres that are that we just we understand the mechanics of these genres in one case like the shaggy dog cons los angeles conspiracy and in the other you know renegade scientist mysterious institution unspeakable experiments so it's literally just we're taking people and putting them through this series of events where like we know vaguely what's going on because like we've seen movies like there have been movies before right. that do this sort of thing. And so we're, we're, we're taking new variables, new characters and putting them through this. So the thing is like, when I tell you that I love Lebowski in exactly the same way I love Beyond the Black Rainbow, I'm scared you're gonna think I'm being disingenuous, but I'm really not. Like they're both like just great examples of like, 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 like when you were a kid, did you ever just build like Lego sets and stuff and like try and like, recreate things you had seen like my whole thing like real talk i learned all the wrong lessons from indiana jones and the temple of doom like i was trying to build like ornate pagan temples for like action figure sacrifices and stuff and that's not healthy but it's great because like when you associate like the mechanics of genre with a physical space like that it it, it frees you up when you start watching things with like with like an exacting eye and I, I just love the idea of when stuff, not like scary movie or like superhero movie or those things where it's just like literal parodies of things you've seen. But when you literally, you take all these things that you've seen and the, the things that make up this genre and like recombine them in interesting ways. And I, I, think, I, think, they're, I think they'd make a hell of a double feature. Yeah. <laughs> well, and see, I think 
I think, like I said, I think I, the reason The Big Lebowski is different for me is because the characters in certain, you know, Walter's so over the top. Mm-hmm. You know, the dude is so um, pulled back. The Jesus character so over the top. Um, Steve Buscemi's character, whose name I can't remember right now, is so restrained. So you have these these Donnie. wide variances in the personalities of the characters, mm-hmm. um, and they're written fun, and the things that happen are absurd, but um, also fun. It's just like it keeps it keeps pulling you into the movie, not because you like at a certain point you're not even paying attention to what's happening in the movie. You're paying attention to the characters. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in cinema history is when Walter's um, throwing the ashes. And he's saying, you know, his Jewish prayer. And then it pans back after he's dumped the ashes and they're just all over the dude. <laughs> and, it's just, and he's just standing there staring. Like he didn't try to move. He didn't try to wipe him. He just stood there staring until he was finished. And it's just such a funny visual because anybody else would dive out of the way or move or cough or do anything. And he just stood there and took it. Um, this movie, I feel like it was trying to be art and forgot to be a movie. And I think that's probably my biggest problem with the whole thing. I, I mean, obviously, like aesthetics are not universal, and we disagree with things. But I do think Maud Lebowski is absolutely a beyond the black rainbow kind of gal. Oh, absolutely. Um, all right. Before John takes his uh, opinion on beyond the black rainbow, let's go around and give our rankings on the Big Lebowski. Is that, is that what this turned into? I'm just kidding. Let's. I love. I love the Big it's Lebowski. It's a five for me. It's a five. <laughs> One of my favorites of all time. It's I probably love, like a 4.5 for me. I, I have a very few fives. I, I love the Big Lebowski. I think it's definitely upper tier Coen brothers. I mean, like my, my two favorites are Serious Man and Barton Fink, but I would say Lebowski's probably in the top five easily. That's their two Jew, most Jewish ones. Mm-hmm. I, I was joking about the rankings, but we did it. It was a five <laughs> for me too. All right, John, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Barton Fink, great movie too, by the way. Uh, Lebowski's probably a yeah 4.5 or 5 out of 5 I mean, it's like their best movie besides that and Raising Arizona and No Country for Old Men are probably my top three I love Nick Blood. Cage <laughs> yeah I love Blood Simple too Blood Simple is a really underrated film Um, yeah Beyond the Black Rainbow so I knew about this movie years ago when it came out I've not seen it though I always heard about the movie I was kind of always told about it. They were like, yeah, it's got like an 80s vibe to it. So I don't think, I think the biggest problem with this movie is that it's too long. I think this is an experiment, is an interesting idea. But I think if he had shortened it down to like 45 minutes or an hour, it probably would have been way more effective. The director, uh, Panos Cosmatos, what's interesting is, so... And I'm sure, Jason, you know this. He's the son of George P. Cosmatos, right? And so George P. Cosmatos was kind of had a reputation of being a director for hire. Um, So when he did Tombstone, uh, years later, it turns out that Kurt Russell actually directed Tombstone. And he just gave the credit to George at the time. Just to basically, until he passed away, he said, I'll say you directed it and I won't tell them, you know, that I was actually the guy doing the work. And that came out later. And Cobra, which is another film that he directed, Stallone had a huge influence on that movie. And a lot of people have said he kind of directed the movie. So George always had this ability to make good films, 
but there's always that question of what was he actually was he a cameraman was he a visionary uh, what was his role um so when you have panos cosmatos the unique thing there is that he is a visionary right like what he's doing with this movie whether you love it or hate it is like he is definitely you know this is his vision this is what he wants everything you're seeing in this and Mandy, there's like no arguing. That's a hundred percent him. So it's kind of funny. I just think that's such an ironic thing when you have a father who's not really known as like a visionary director, and then you have a son who's just the opposite, right? It's just I don't know. That would almost be like to me like Michael Bay giving birth to like Chris Nolan or something. It's just it's two totally different things, right? Or John Frankenheimer Man- giving birth to Michael Bay. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry, oh. you're not supposed to say that out loud. Oh, yeah. true. It's true. <laughs> and and um, yeah, the you know the music is very John Carpenter in this film. The inspiration, you know, the first thing I thought at the time when I, I hadn't seen it, and this was before Stranger Things, but I was thinking of Firestarter because John Carpenter's Firestarter, and I think if the Stephen King story, it's you know a girl's kind of being held captive. She's got powers. I could see that vibe. Um, you know, I, I think the length is the problem. I, you know, it's an artistic film. It's very visual. It's an acid trip. There's not a lot of story. There's unfortunately not a lot of meat on that bone. But it's like, you know, Jason, you brought this up. It basically is a story of like the 80s, Reagan era in the 80s. And there's so many th- th- these things mixing. You know, it goes back to 1966 and it goes forward to... 1983 and that's something that's very interesting to me with panos is he's got a thing for 1983 yeah and i don't know maybe yeah maybe it's just it's because it's like maybe it says the guy born in 83 spoilers (laughs) i thought you were born 84 i didn't know when i that's just turn 40 john do the math i'm gonna say i'm just unintentionally (laughs) calling you old uh no but um yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of influences here. Uh, what is it? THX 1138, Daft Punk, Tron, Clockwork Orange. I mean, even, you know, Hell in Your Background, like the Dreadnought thing. I mean, that's just like something out of Tron Legacy, which I don't think was coincidentally similar time frame as this movie. I'm not saying they were borrowing off each other, but. Came out very... same year. Yeah. Right. I think- that was I the think, creepiest thing in the movie, the dead baby face when they took the helmet off. The Sentinel, which calls to mind Sentinel. both Phantasm and the Black Hole. And God, if I ever could take over Disney for a day, I would put Panos Cosmatos in charge of remaking the Black Hole. Oh, that'd be uh, killer. That'd yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Also, uh, side note real quick, uh, talking about George Cosmatos, the, the the things that he's famous for, and I would include Rambo First Blood Part Two in there as well, because there's a, the Stallone question of that. The thing is, when he does straight up horror, those are very you. There's not, there's never been a question of authorship with those. And the two that I recommend most highly are uh, Leviathan from 1989, uh, great undersea critter horror, and of unknown origin from I think 82, which is the best rat movie that doesn't feel like a rat movie until you're far. It's far too late. It's so Peter Weller in an apartment and just like if you have rat issues or oh i've just, seen that one with peter weller yeah, yeah, yeah that's good yeah it's real good it's real good 
And I'm sorry, I interrupted, but I was oh, just like, but it's, I always find that fascinating because it's like with all of his films, there's always these other influences, except when he's doing straight horror and then it is pure George. <laughs> yeah. Of Unknown Origin, that's a, that's a movie I watched during COVID. I love it, especially just there's not like, there's not a lot of violence in it. And at the end of the movie, you're kind of almost like, you're like, I guess this was a horror movie. Like that's, that's what's so fascinating about it. It's like, it's, it's kind of about his mind. He's going crazy and that. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Um, the main actor, Michael Rogers, I'm so glad that no one noticed this yet. So the first thing I thought when I saw this guy, I was like, okay, so if you had a love child of Christian Bale, Arnold Vosloo from the Mummy movies, and Maynard James Keenan from Tool, if those three were in a room, that's wow. who would come out of that, right? I don't. It's the face, the nose. I saw Christian Bale like every 10 minutes. I was like, this looks like Christian Bale's weird cousin. I definitely also, saw Wish.com Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. He also, after the big wig reveal, he also looks a lot like Dario Argento. Oh, a little yeah. bit of the face. Yeah. Yeah, he really kind of the nose. Yeah. And I could see why they hired the guy. He's creepy. He's not a bad actor, but he has a presence about him. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't mind, like I said, the visuals, the way the film was very simplistic. There were themes of, like, control and obsession. I didn't mind that part. And I will say, towards the end of the movie, I'll admit, about the last 30 minutes, I started kind of going 2x speed on where I was watching it. I was like, okay, this is dragging for sure. It needs to be shorter. You mean I could have done that? Yeah, well, you could have, right? Do- <laughs> so I did that just to kind of get sped up on it because i was kind of like okay this is i get the point um but i don't hate it one other thing that i noticed it was kind of funny um very beginning of the movie or maybe the middle he's talking to his assistant margo and he says i don't know margo i swear that i caught that i was (laughs) that has got to be an unintentional like or or that's got to be like an intentional christmas vacation thing right reference the way he said it was almost identical to the movie yeah it wouldn't surprise me (laughs) i don't know (laughs) margo right it was weird um you know i i do think that mandy's a much stronger film mandy of course this it is mandy's a more of a straightforward story right it's a typical film this is more of an experimental trippy this is not the same type of film as mandy mandy has that insanity but mandy also has nicholas cage saying some of the greatest lines ever like when he's fighting the biker and he's like you're in my shit i do i do it's like what is that i do think the uh adding the co-writer andrew um on uh, for for Mandy and the viewing, I do think that helps, um, you know, make things that are a bit more accessible. Like I love the undiluted Cosmatos, but I also like I've, I've just I've enjoyed everything he's done so far. Have 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 any of y'all watched the viewing his episode of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities? Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I don't remember that was I don't remember who which one that was. That was it's Spencer. the one where Eric Andre smokes weed, Nix hails okay. it on the alien artifact, and then <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. starts exploding. Yeah, it's, I haven't I, seen it. Yeah, I've seen a few of those. Though. Yeah, it's fun, but it's very much like this in that, like the first half is like everybody hanging out and like making sure that everyone's on the same drugs to sync up, and then 
Eric Andre exhales weed smoke on the alien artifact and it gets real, real messy real fast. Yeah, it's, that's probably pretty dead on, honestly. Um, I think that this movie, it's not something that I don't think probably many of us would watch again in this conversation. I, Jason, you probably would. But oh, I'm, I think- I'm, I'm dying to see this like properly projected in theater because he shot it on 35 and there are like a magnet there are 35 millimeter prints i just it's never shown theatrically in nashville and i want to remedy that so is that real grain or digitally added that's real grain that's real grain it it did have that authentic look to mandy and the viewing are digital that use the that use uh grain texture the the texture tron or whatever it's called yeah but yeah no this this one was actually shot on 35 yeah. wow yeah he so he actually used the residuals from tombstone to help yeah. finance this movie which i that blew my mind yeah. um the the one thing you know I, this is a movie you guys were just talking about this i hate saying this because i love the bell court but i went to 12 hours of terror i know how i know the gig at this point you start out high you get to that middle you shock them Mm-hmm. This is the movie that you would show at like 2 a.m. The 12 Hours of Terror. I feel like. I don't it's, know if you would agree. Here, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you. I would never put this movie in a 12 Hours of Terror specifically because of, like, you can do something that's that slow and deliberate, but not that that's long. That's that long. Yeah. Like, you can, you can, there, there are just, it is absolutely a science on screen movie. That and we'll we'll get like you know like a research scientist to come in and do like a little mini talk about it about you know drugs or like seventies cult experiments that sort of thing. It's totally a science on screen movie. It's not a twelve hours of terror. Yeah, like it's I, about twenty minutes too long. I feel like for that. Yeah, yeah it's got to be like ninety for that sweet spot. But. Yeah, if you, yeah. If you played that at two a.m., I feel everyone that would be a little nappy poo for everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so. I don't like one. If you've listened to this show, you know there's a couple movies we all we each hate. One of mine is Skinnamarine. This has that effect on me. <laughs> Not as bad. I I didn't hate this movie, but when I'm watching it, that's the only movie I could reference back to. And I'm like, I'm bored. I don't think I like this movie like I thought I would, but I have to keep watching, don't I? And you 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 kind of do. Um, it was too long. What what, what it was uh one fifty, I think. Yeah, I cut thirty minutes, and 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 that would have been better because, like a couple of you said, to me it felt like a Monday. I don't know if if you work a, a job like Kelly and I do, every Monday feels like it's a Monday, and you look at your clock and you look at your watch and your phone, and you're like, all right, it's probably lunchtime, and it's nine fifteen in the morning. That was this movie. Like, okay, I've watched 30 minutes. Oh, seven. Okay. You know, um, the score kind of saved it for me. What's funny is but this is the first time I've seen this movie yesterday or the day before, but I'd heard the score before because uh, on my uh, Pandora, I have a goblin channel and they play it's um, Sonoya Caves, I believe is the band yeah. that does the score. So I've seen that cover of her sitting in the chair. I've seen that without knowing what it was connected to so i enjoyed that because i already liked their music that that's kind of like when we talked about men i loved men but part of the grabbing part of that was some of the the score and the, oh you know that part 
that heightened things up. So the music helped me get through it. Um, I know it's not supposed to be a movie that has character development, but that's something I always struggle with in a film. I had no reason to give a shit about anybody in this movie. She's trying to escape, but why? Maybe she was a vampire and they were, you know, holding her hostage because of that. You know, they had her trapped. We don't know the story of anybody. We don't learn, get to know them. And I, I, I connected more with the two guys towards the end at the campfire, you know, um but the last 20 minutes is good but i kind of like killen's idea of like start with that and then see how she got to that point um might have been structured a little bit better i love mandy if you take nick cage out of it i still like mandy it's still a good flick but he's the selling point for me if he was in this would that have changed anything I, i don't think so um i'm i love a good artsy fartsy movie just like anybody else um I didn't hate this one. The the cinematography, the directing, they were beautiful. Uh, it's just the picture behind me is is from the film where the guy's kind of melting away. Like it's such strong, beautiful visuals throughout the movie, and that's also what I struggle with because I'm not caring about anybody in this movie, but I also love the way it looks for the most part. So that kind of puts me in that middle range of I, would I watch it again? Yes, but would I won't tell anybody? Hey come over let's watch this flick no so with that we'll go around and we'll give our rankings so we'll start with tj well well i i agreed with everything everybody's other than jason said pretty much but uh man i just think this should have been a short film i think this would have been a solid like 15 20 minute short film and and could have told the same story with some of the same powerful visuals cinematography was great and usually i like these kind of artsy films but similar to what jay said i just i gotta go two out of five i I don't think i'll rewatch this again unless it's for a show or a work thing and since we just did it i'll probably never watch this again (laughs) all right jason um, I mean, I'm I'm 4.5 out of 5. I, I watch this film usually about at least once a year. And like I said, I hope to eventually get to see a print of it in a theater because it's just, I, like I said, it, it is it is absolutely like church. Like for me, it's just it's just a contemplative state and it's colorful and moody and it like just it just vibes in exactly the right way. I think I like the movie better than I like church. Kellen? Uh, I just want to correct myself from earlier. I said uh, Pink Floyd album. The name of the album's Adam Hart Mother. So in case anybody heard the heard me call it Mother's Milk, it has a Y'all cow have to on send the your cover. angry emails. Stop it has a cow on the cover, around. and it always makes me think of the Red Hot Chili Peppers album just because cow milk. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> um, oh, God. I'm just going to go ahead and give it a one because it was just so bad for me. I mean, everybody has different tastes. Everybody takes different things for movies. There's obviously going to be movies that I would rank high that other people are going to hate. Um, so, yeah, one. One. Man. All right, John. Damn, one. Um, This and men, you know, men, I probably would watch again at some point. I think the problem with that one, I well, that's another episode, but you know, for this one, I, I don't know how many times I'd rewatch it. I I probably would give it another shot again, but I would watch the dialogue and then 2X the rest of it, right? Because I could get the same vibe for what they're doing. Um, 
As a film, though, it's not perfect. I think the length is the problem, but I also understand that he wanted to do more than a short film. So it's kind of a it's a tricky thing. I would say three out of five. It's good. I think for what it is, it is interesting. Um, it doesn't hold a candle to Mandy, though. Um, and this is kind of like, it's not the same thing, but it's definitely a Ken Russell vibe to a modern version of that. So, so you like this one more than men, John? I would say yes on the merit of the rating. Yes. But I think the, the biggest thing is men should have been a graphic novel. This should have been 30 minutes shorter. That's the difference. Yeah. Can I, can I just say one thing about men? The press screening for that movie, like in that, <laughs> la- that last sequence where you get a triple extra, I was just like, I was, Ooh. I was feeling it up until that point. But like when that happened, I was just like, I mean, it was amazing. And you could have heard a fucking pin drop in that auditorium. Like I'm looking around at like the rest of the press corps. And I'm just like, these are like, these are ostensibly some like, these are people who are not shocked by anything. And they were shocked. <laughs> Did anyone leave? And the theater yes. I was in, it wasn't a press theater, but half half the people in the theater left during that sequence. <laughs> there were, it was, <laughs> I was just like, I mean, because like I think Annihilation is a stone masterpiece, and like I like men quite a bit, but I was just like, like up until that point, I was just like, I wish this would wow me in the way that Annihilation, and then that happened, and I was just like, well, shit. Yeah, give me nine butthole bursts, and I'm good to go home. <laughs> it's one of the biggest left turns I've ever seen in a movie to to not have anything leading up to that, and then just bam in your face, <laughs> literally in your face. Um, <laughs> My mom made me leave uh, the Nutty Professor in theaters one time because language. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> but um, I gave it a 2.5 and I, I split down the middle because again, like I'm torn between like respect and just watchability. And, and it's a tricky place to be in. So I gave it a 2.5 averages out to 2.6 where I'm bumping up to a three. So um, beyond the black rainbow, three all right uh, that's gonna do it for this episode be sure to subscribe to our youtube channel and to wherever you're listening to this podcast now follow us on instagram join uh i rebranded the church i don't know how many of you guys noticed that but it's just the horror sanctum now so i took the church out we got the church out of the state so uh go follow us under there and uh, i made a playlist on amazon music so if you have amazon music just search the horror uh, sanctum podcast playlist and you can hear songs Uh, from the scores and soundtracks of the movies we've talked about and some of the guests. Um, And Jason, thank you so much for taking some time with us and educating us on one of your favorite movies. (laughs) Absolutely. Anytime. I had a a blast. Awesome. Would love to have you back. All right. So that's going to be it for this episode. I'm Jay with Jason, John, Kellen, and TJ. And until next time, keep it spooky.